The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Good morning, Refuge Church. Good morning. Good morning. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. So we, we have a full coffee shop today. So if you have a seat by you, <clears throat> raise one hand. If you're willing for someone to sit in your lap, raise two. I'm joking, don't raise two hands, please. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so we've got, we've got a lot up here. It's not as scary as it, it might appear. Um, four right by Ben. Ben might look imposing, but he left that in his younger years. You can ask him about that. So good to be with you today. We almost did not make it. Hannah and I decided to stay with my mom out in Tahuya this weekend, and we got about four inches of snow yesterday, and she has a really steep drive. So last night, we moved around and got a car to the top, the only car with all-wheel drive, so we could get out uh, here today. Our, Hannah and my cars are still stuck there, so uh, we made it. It's beautiful out there. It's still snow uh, held on top of the lake, so that's where we came from. I'm going to start this morning by reading the end of Psalm 139. I'm going to read it and then invite you to pray it with me. This is verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If you'd close your eyes and settle your heart and pray this with me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I just want to give a couple minutes for that to sink in, for you to keep praying that, just that God would search your heart and know you. God, it's hard to imagine or be open to the possibility that there's an offensive way in us, that there would be a way that we're thinking, a way that we're living that isn't good and maybe even puts us in opposition to you. But we can pray this, we know, because you've invited us to come. Your heart is to reconcile with us, to 
have a relationship that is strong and beautiful and full of love with us. And so we do pray that you would show us if there's an offensive way in us and lead us in your way. And as we walk in your way, God, we pray that we will shine your light to the world, that we would live your inviting life for others to see your goodness and live in your grace, live in your, your love. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> Second week into our series in Ecclesiastes called Life, Death, and Everything Else. This is our intro. Wouldn't it be nice to have a wise teacher to help you understand what is most important in life? Just ask any question you want. That's been Elliot's new question lately. We put him in timeout. Elliot, do you know what you did? Why? <laughs> well, because you hurt your little sister. Why? Apparently because you're a terrible kid. I don't I, you know. No. <laughs> but it's why, why, why? Wouldn't it be great just to have, as adults, <laughs> a wise teacher we could ask life's most important questions to? This is what we find in the book of Ecclesiastes. In this sermon series, you'll receive hard-hitting, uncensored, deeply thoughtful look at life, death, and everything else. The teacher takes us to the lowest despair, to the firm foundation of a life built on God's commands. Are you happy? What makes you happy? As I asked these questions to you, and as I wrote them down to ask them to you, I kind of chuckled to myself, thinking, why are these such hard questions? It doesn't seem the question, are you happy, should be so hard. But the reason why it's hard for us is because happiness we treat or, or act as if it is something that is fleeting, something that comes and goes, something that doesn't stay long, here one moment, gone the next. Are you happy? Well, let me check in on myself right now. Maybe I was happy five minutes ago, but right now, I don't, I'm not sure. And this is the definition in Ecclesiastes of the word meaningless, which is vapor. As if something is here one moment, but vaporizes and leaves in the next. When the Ecclesiastes teacher says, meaningless, vapor, gone, that's exactly what should come to mind when you're asked the question, are you happy? Well, it, oh man, it feels like I got a hold of it sometimes, and other times it just isn't here at all. Well, America's not doing too well if you take a poll for happiness. Beginning of last year, <clears throat> one news outlet wrote this. One word can describe how Americans are feeling about the way things are going. That word is bad. <clears throat> Any sense of optimism that was apparent after the vaccines were developed for the coronavirus has abated. You kind of remember there was like that, man, we're kind of getting through. There's might get back to, the, the, back to normal. A lot of Americans are not pleased with what's going on in their daily lives. The state of the nation, the state of politics. This year, across 29 different measurements, just 38% of Americans were satisfied. 
That means 62% of Americans say, I'm just not satisfied. I'm not happy with life. The way the article concludes is this. Indeed, we likely won't solve our collective issues overnight. Hopefully, we get back to a better normal. Well, the 62% is a record low, but the normal is about hovering at 50%. So (laughs) I don't know if we want back to the normal. I think we need a better way. I think we need a better answer. I think we need something better than what's happening. Because 50% of people saying, I'm satisfied, and 50% of people saying, man, life's a vapor. It's like, I'm okay one minute, and next minute, I'm not okay. Well, to start today, which is the teacher teaching us about pleasure or happiness, I think it's helpful to understand that we all seek happiness, and that is a good thing. And that really does need to be stated here in the context of the people of God. The people of God sometimes are known as killjoys, and that shouldn't be the case. That shouldn't be true. Blaise Pascal, the the famous mathematician, philosopher, theologian, he said this, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. Everybody seeks happiness, the cause of going to war or avoiding it. It says, the will never takes the least steps unless it's to this objective, to be happy. The motive of every action, even the person that hangs themselves. The sobering ending, but everybody is seeking happiness. The quest of humanity is happiness. And at our fingertips right now, We have more resources, more opportunities, and more gadgets to help us towards this end than ever before. It would be wrong to say the desire is more than ever before, but I think it's appropriate to say we have more resources, opportunities, and technology or gadgets at our fingertips than ever before, but it's not working, right? Literally, there's never been more wealth in America than there is today. And yet that isn't working. Never more opportunities to succeed, but that isn't working. I, re- I listened to a podcast this week that had just, I had not heard this yet, but the CDC, Center for Disease Control, um, put out a new study <clears throat> that teenage girls, it says 57% experience uh, sadness or persistent hopelessness. One out of three considered taking their own lives last year. One out of three teenage girls. A generation that has never had more opportunity, never had more resources, never had more technology to try to do what we want to do. There has never been more freedom given to pursue happiness in the way you want to pursue it than ever before. I think that's the key here. The opportunities are open. Whatever you want to do, do it. And that is where we're at in Ecclesiastes 2 today. The teacher who says, I'm going to try everything. And what is the conclusion of that? So the big question is, is there a secret to, or what is the secret of happiness? And there is. And the answer to that, it is, Living for God's glory, not your own. 
is that simple when it comes down to Ecclesiastes. And that's hard to stomach because even when it's at our fingertips, we feel like we could hold it in our hands and say it and maybe kind of know it, it still seems so elusive. Why? Well, let's dive into Ecclesiastes. Before we dive into Ecclesiastes, um, I want just to address a a big question, which is how in the world could this book be helpful? Because it is so gloomy. If you've read Ecclesiastes, you probably have, you know, maybe you're a glutton for punishment and you're like, oh, I love this book. But really, this book is incredibly challenging. I mean, second verse in, and, and literally he's summarizing life as meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And you're like, man, that, can I get back to the, like some of the sweet psalms we were just in? Or, you know, can we skip ahead a little bit? Or, you know, Ecclesiastes is not the book you want to say, but why Ecclesiastes is so helpful is because, in a way, it's a satire. It is the teacher who's embracing what life could look like if they were in a position of someone who lived without God. This is um, what one theologian said. He said, Ecclesiastes is the most contemporary book in the Bible. It's a satirical attack on the hedonistic and materialistic societies that we live in. It exposes the mad quest to find satisfaction in knowledge, wealth, pleasure, work, fame, and sex. In this way, it is maybe the most contemporary book we have because he's tackling it by showing, in some ways, humorously, because it's so exaggerated, the bankruptcy of the way we go about seeking our own happiness. Wisdom literature, as this is, is concerned with showing a correct ordering of life. And so when you want to know, man, how do I live? This is where you seek it out. And how how do I understand in contrast, and that's the important word here, in contrast with the, the opportunities out there. And so Ecclesiastes is like a Rembrandt painting. If you've ever seen the artist Rembrandt, who has in his paintings this stark contrast of a surrounding darkness and a focal point of light. And that is what Ecclesiastes is. It it draws into stark contrast the darkness that we easily slip into and the focal point of light, which it ends by saying, fear God and obey his commandments. It draws, in the end, it just draws us into that focal point. So, The teacher today takes us on what I will call a pleasure experiment. In Ecclesiastes 2, starting in 1, we'll read through 11. This is what he says. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. He's talking to himself in third person, which is kind of funny. Come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to me be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under under heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself, planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks, planted all kinds of trees, I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves. I had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers. 
and a harem as well, the delight of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me, and all this my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a vapor, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So what does the teacher do? What is his pleasure experiment? It is simply this, to deny himself nothing. I will deny myself nothing. Anything that I think feels good or attracts my attention. So he builds palaces. He sleeps with all the women he does, wants. He does literally whatever he wants. Anything that attracts him. Now I feel with that, in the book of Ecclesiastes, there should be some sort of Surgeon General's warning. Don't try this at home. This won't go well for you. Is this not the experiment that we are encouraged to take every single day? To literally take for ourselves the freedom to try anything we want. What is your fantasy? Do it. What is your fantasy? Entertain it. What is your fantasy? There's something to help you with that. Do whatever you want. Whatever feels good. Freedom, freedom, freedom to do whatever you want. But as I thought of that joke I made just a minute ago, don't try this at home, I actually started thinking about that seriously. Why do we say that? Don't try this at home, because home is supposed to be a place that is safe from that exact thing. Amen? Where you don't have the freedom to do whatever you want. Amen? (laughs) Children? You are not given the freedom to do whatever you want because if you do whatever you want, you will die. (laughs) Amen? This is the story we are given in the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. Home is a place that should be safe, a home where there is a father, a home where there is a family, a home where there are boundaries, where you don't have to learn by experimentation and cavalier freedom where you don't have to hurt yourself and others because you have someone who loves you saying, do this, don't do this. Listen, because, why? Because I love you and I've created this context for you and that is what it means to fear God and do what he commands, to be in his home. And that is the whole story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, where the prodigal son does what? He escapes home to do whatever he wants. And when he's done whatever he wants, when he's tasted all that the world has to offer, what happens? He feels alone, rejected, uncertain of his position with his father or with anybody else. Because freedom leads nowhere unless it's freedom leading in one direction, which is back home to the father. Because back home with the father are boundaries, but those boundaries are there for safety and life. So he makes his way home. He's done with the insanity of chasing happiness. Trying to take it for himself and create it for himself. Because happiness doesn't come that way. Happiness lives here. Happiness lives 
at home. That is Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. It's a good story. Happiness then comes running to meet the son when he is on his way home. Don't try this at home because it doesn't belong here. What belongs here is the beautiful freedom of doing what's right together. That is what's good. So the teacher, in his pursuit of pleasure and freedom, is trying to find two answers. And you get this in verse 1. I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. That's the first question. What is good? And the second question is this. What is gain? He said, it was all chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained by this. Because that's really what we think. When we, we finally find, we finally create for ourselves pleasure, when we create for ourselves happiness, we will finally find what's good, and we will finally gain something that is lasting. Well, the teacher, assuming this identity of what it would look like to have life without God, tries taking for himself or creating for himself good. And taking or creating good for yourself does not ever work. And if you've ever tried planning a family vacation, you know that. You have planned every detail. And those details are just waiting to be ruined. (laughs) Right? If you think you can create good or take it for yourself, you are in for a very unhappy surprise. This is the story of Mary and Martha in the Bible. Martha is planning all the details. Jesus is in her home. Worry, worry, worry. That's all she's doing. Mary has chosen what's better, to be with Jesus. Because you cannot create or take good. You must receive it. Family vacations are good when you receive the vacation you're given. (laughs) Not the vacation you've planned. Amen? (laughs) Yeah. That is life. We can't create or take. We have to receive what is given because every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadow. That's James 1.17. You know who else tried taking what's good? We'll name where this comes from in the Bible. When the woman saw the fruit was good for food and pleasing to that and also for desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and ate it. She took it. It was not hers to have. It was not Adam's to have. They took. Because they chose not to receive what the Father, who is good and gives good gifts, was going to give them, but took it for themselves. We cannot take. We cannot create good. We have to receive it. That's the only way we live. And so how do we receive it? From the good Father. By listening to him and obeying what he says. That's it. This is the conclusion. Fear God and obey what he commands. And what does he say? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Receive it. You can't take it. You can receive it. And that's good. Gosh, that's good. Guys, it is a good life when you just start receiving it, right? 
Stop trying to just take it and create it. You can't. What is the life God is giving to you? What does it look like to take that as a gift, a gracious gift from him? The second thing, what is gain? Well, Solomon or the teacher said, nothing is gained under the sun. And it's interesting because we get to watch the teacher do just about everything you would probably or I would probably try doing if we were insanely wealthy, right? Building things, creating, right? All these things. Now, the only thing I can compare this to is that I have a Costco membership and can buy a ton of stuff when I go to Costco, which I shouldn't because I can't afford that stuff, right? I can't afford 50, like, hamburger patties at Costco. But you're like, I'm building a kingdom, right? <laughs> what is gain? Well, gain for us is that. It's Costco. It's more, 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 literally, I, I, I don't know how we address what is gain in our life other than the thought of, of somehow having more. If you're an athlete, it's having faster times, right? If it's your business, it is having more profit. What is your more? And the answer is your more, if that is it for you, your more is vapor. It's vapor. And that doesn't mean if in that life of getting more you are receiving from the Father, it can't be great. But that was not the perspective of the teacher here. The teacher was still right, trying to create their own. And in that, it will always be vapor because your record will be broken. Somebody will come along and make more money than you or because of a decision, the money will be taken away. Last week, someone sent me an article about um, an underreported death. And what I mean by that is it was someone who, whose life was reported on a lot. His name was Thomas Lee, and he was the poster boy for what you can get out of life. Did anyone track this? Did anyone read the article about Thomas Lee? Yeah, see, it's, it's pretty amazing because he was very, very famous in life. Good friend of the Lincolns, actually after... Uh, Bill, Bill, oh, sorry, the Lincoln, I said Lincoln's. Wow, Clinton's. <laughs> that would that would have been a twist. <laughs> uh, the Clinton's after Clinton uh, lost an election, he hid out at Thomas Lee's condo. Like that, that was the tie here. So, kind of this this glamorous individual who, at the time of his death, was worth two billion dollars, and he'd made his money by buying mid-sized companies and then growing them and selling them for exorbitant prices and making people a lot of money. So by the end of his life, $2 billion was what he was worth. And he died by a self-inflicted gunshot at the age of 78 with a wife he'd been married to faithfully and five kids. 78. And this is the quote that jumped out to me from the article. It said, Lee's one-time meteoric career had become a mere footnote in the leveraged buyout industry he helped create. He was the who's who. He was the one everybody wanted to be. But what had he become? And what could he not handle? Becoming a footnote. At one time, nobody was better than him. But in the course of his own life, he moved from that 
to being a footnote. Vapor, meaningless, chasing after the wind. If all we have is what we can take and create for ourselves, something more flashy is coming along. Something will overshadow us. That is not the way to actual gain and actual wisdom and actual happiness. Jesus says in Matthew, what good is it for someone to gain the world and yet forfeit or lose their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And this is the context here. Listen, for the Son of Man is going to come in the Father's glory with the angels, and he will reward, reward each person for what they have done. What is it for us to do? What is the secret of happiness? Living in the Father's glory, in which Jesus will come. I think the best way to understand the Father's glory is to live our lives in God's fullness so we can understand our fullness. When I say live for his glory instead of yours, what I'm saying is live in God's fullness. It's not saying you're nothing. It says you're simply something because he's invited you home <laughs> to be with him, to be his child. That's your identity. That's what cannot be taken away. God is inviting you home, the Father who gives good gifts and does not change like the shifting shadows, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is the God who's inviting you home. A home where there is boundaries. A home where there is goodness. That you can enjoy that life. There's a beautiful quote by C.S. Lewis that I will wrap up with that my dad if you've heard him preach, you've probably heard him. He would, about every other month, he would use this. And he said, Lewis says, if there lurks in the modern mind the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly hope for enjoyment is a bad thing, it is not. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slums because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Guys, it's not that our desire for happiness is so acute. It's not like we've figured something out with smartphones. It's not like we got the secret with our technology that's finally going to solve it for us. If anything, we need boundaries on those things, right? <laughs> like, man, we need those things taken out of our hands, probably. Right? We, what is the way to finally find satisfaction? It is not to lean into our own desires, which are weak. It is to begin salivating for the promises of God. It is to see his fullness and live within his fullness. We need to start imagining the reward of God. What he has offered, an invitation home. That when we start on the path there, like the prodigal son, the father runs to meet us. And in that embrace, in that embrace is happiness. Amen? Amen. Pray with me. Oh, Father, 
thank you for the invitation home. As we read Ecclesiastes, I pray we won't get kind of lost in the um, the satire of it. Just the kind of the mockery it makes of us just doing whatever we want. It's not helpful, it's not good, but we ourselves, God, we confess we get caught up in that. Trying to find the fullness within or with doing whatever we want. God, help us just to admire you. God, it's when we start living in your fullness that we really do, man, the sunsets get beautiful, the time with friends so enjoyable. The work becomes meaningful because it's full of you. We can do all that in the safety of your home, being your child. Thank you for that. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.